Mover Nation, it has been quite a week and it has been quite a day here as well because I've been sitting in a courtroom literally virtually for the last four hours with nothing going on. But let me tell you, uh, we were sitting on a courtroom all together earlier this week because there was the retrial of uh, the retrial motion for Alec Murdoch, which was denied by Justice Gene Toll, even as the hearing took a surprise twist. And then Vince McMahon had stepped down from TKO, now the parent parent company of the WWE, amidst a lawsuit making some very serious accusations of misconduct and mistreatment filed by a female employee. An absentee mother of the year candidate, Jennifer Crumley's trial entered its fifth day today with more shocking testimony of her behavior on that fateful day. I'm Collier Landry. Let's get into it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. I decided at an early age that our trauma should not be what defines us. It's what we choose to do with it that does. I'm here to share my unique perspective on true crime, mental health, society, and popular culture, albeit with a slight sense of humor. I'm Collier Landry, and welcome to my show. Mover Nation, thank you all so much for being here. I greatly appreciate it. We are going to get into what I like to refer to as our true crime biggest losers <laughs> of the week. And I know we're only, I don't know, we're not even really, well, we're halfway through the week and we already have some big losers to go over. It has been a, um, I'll tell you, it has been quite an interesting week for all of you who are following the Murdoch trial. Um, because the saga of Alec Murdoch is just is one that just keeps on giving. But alas, it is slowly coming to an end, it appears. Uh, we have a lot of stuff. Welcome to all my channel members, channel subscribers, uh, Patreon supporters, wherever you may be and however you may be listening. Thanks for making me a part of your day. This is, you know, the show where you get uh, my my unique outlook and perspective on true crime, mental health, society, and popular culture, and albeit with a slight sense of humor. And I aim to please in this episode. So again, welcome all of you. Thank you so much. So many of you have asked my opinion on this Vince McMahon situation that's going on, and of course this Jennifer Crumley trial, which is the more I get into it, the worse I feel. And as someone who was literally just sitting in child court earlier today to help some friends of mine to give some testimony, I thought, you know, good parents versus bad parents. And the more I dive into this Jennifer Crumley trial, the trial of these Crumley people, uh, I got to tell you, it is, um, it's really heartbreaking. It's a really, really heartbreaking scenario. And I feel so bad for Ethan Crumley, who is, you know, going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Oh, Man, um, but I want to go over the biggest losers of the week, people who I think, and my opinion on what went down with Murdoch, what's been going on with Jennifer Crumley, this Vince McMahon scandal, and just kind of weigh in on all of this. And of course, get you guys and your fabulous opinions and wonderful commentary as well in the chat below. Please, if you wouldn't mind, drop a super sticker. Please check out our uh, channel sponsor, who we are going to get into right now. This video is sponsored by Aura, and here's a message for you right here. So hey, movers, I want to tell you guys about today's video sponsor, and that's Aura. Now, Aura is not just another identity protection service. It's really like your all-in-one solution for safeguarding your digital life. They do the heavy lifting by scouring the internet 
to find and delete your publicly available information. There's no more chasing down websites or managing different services or has it all in one secure platform. And you know what else? They offer credit monitoring. They keep an eye out on your credit, ensuring your phone number isn't being handed out to those annoying robocallers. They start sending you alerts and emails, notifying you when someone is poking around in your personal information or when your phone number is being searched. And the best part is you get to decide what stays public and what gets deleted. I've tried all the various identity protection and credit monitoring services, but it's Aura's streamlined platform that sets it apart. It's user-friendly, it's customizable, and most importantly, it's secure because all of your information is stored in an encrypted vault under your control. And here's the cool part for you, my awesome audience. Aura is offering a two-week free trial. Just click the link in my description below or visit Aura.com forward slash call your Landry and take back control of your digital life today with Aura. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. That helps keep the lights on here. And uh, I appreciate you guys taking time out. Please, if you wouldn't mind, click the link below, sign up for the 14-day trial. It is an absolutely fabulous product. It has really helped me keep track of my digital life taking me off all these lists, taking me off all these robocalls. It's been fantastic. Uh, all right. So we are going to get into a very interesting episode today. I want to go over, as I said, the the biggest loser. And this is my custom biggest loser crimes, crime scene, true crime edition logo. Let me know what you think of that. Uh, we do the custom. Everything is done in house here. So uh this is my custom little graphic of course just to be cheeky and uh thank you very much uh click it just for the ai or the free two weeks both help yes uh please link please uh please subscribe if you can please like all the things and thank you to my fabulous moderators who are here as well uh okay so we had quite a week we had all the cast of characters awful people of the week so far in the true crime universe. So I am going to start with a little bit of a recap so far of not so great mother and parents of the year, absentee parents, just horrific. The Crumleys. Bad parents are criminals. I did a live about them on Sunday a little bit. I'm just getting familiar with this case. You guys have reached out to me, asked me all kinds of stuff. Hey, can you can you check it out? Can you uh, can you give us your opinion on this? What is your take? And boy, do I have some opinions. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much. I'm glad you like the. Um, I'm glad you guys like the logo that I made. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> if you can't tell, um, this. Uh, so this trial. So for those of you that don't know, Jennifer Crumley and her husband James Crumley are the parents of Ethan Crumley, who was the school um mass casualty event creator creator of the school ca mass casualty casualty event outside detroit michigan on november 30th 2022 2023 2021 uh sorry um he was sentenced uh for the crime he actually pled guilty honestly and everything that i'm finding out about this young man he was 15 when the crime was committed he's now 17 18 17 um he pled guilty uh he took four lives were lost that day seven people were injured it's absolutely terrible and this trial 
has posed a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of questions uh, regarding parental responsibility when a child you know commits a violent crime and are they responsible or not? And but at first glance, when you kind of scratch the surface, you kind of think this is kind of absurd. And then you kind of dive deeper and you see the behavior of the parents. You see the fact that they had this particular firearm that he had used in the commission of the crime was one that they had purchased for him. It was a Christmas present. They had taken him to the range and just the overall behavior of the parents was very, it was really tragic because here's this kid who, who literally uh, had no one in his life. and his closest friend was literally a kid who who was in his life for a couple of years and then all of a sudden just got yanked out of it and it looks like he just didn't have any connection with his parents whatsoever uh there is a whole list of text messages that his of him reaching out to his mother on before the day of the crime before that fateful day on November 30th and it was just um it's really, really heartbreaking when you look at it. I'm going to pull up the timeline, but the Crumleys just were absentee parents. And today, but I'll back up and, and we'll go over over what has happened in the in the actual in the actual courtroom. But just to sort of recap what what the entire what what the timeline of the events was, James Crumley. The father purchased a nine millimeter pistol on Black Friday. His son Ethan had posted about the gun, about the firearm on social media. His teacher had noticed him searching for ammunition online before the event happened. The school tried to contact Ethan's parents for uh, about his behavior and received no response. Ethan's mother had texted him, seemingly aware of his distress. Ethan left a disturbing note at school. Parents were called to the school and shown the note that he had written, which showed him crying out for help. Uh, they did not find the firearm in his backpack because no one looked for it. And the parents refused to take him out of school. He returned to class. And then, of course, the mass casualty event happened. And Jennifer had texted her son later on that day after everything was done and said, please don't do it. Bah, bah, bah. And this week, uh, law enforcement had the, today at trial, they showed the tape of her in the, in the squad car and what her reaction was to it. So we're going to get into that. Um, but to start, there is a, um, there was an affair that she was having as well. And as you start to start to sort of scratch the surface, um of this whole thing it's just it's really really sad i had assumed because they had owned horses because she was very into her horses that there was more to this uh and that they were a little more affluent than they were but they were not and they had a long history of neglect with their son ethan and i believe child protective services had been called before on them but no one ever did anything which look as someone who grew up partial part of his life in the foster care system i had seen kids in the system that really, really sucks because when the system isn't there for the children, uh, you know, um, the kids don't get a shot. Like this poor kid didn't even have a shot from the word jump. And I understand you can't pick who your parents are, but parents can step up. The state can step up. And to see that 
it's just, it's really heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. So ABC News is reporting. This is from the trial. This was yesterday. Officials found it strange that Michigan school, um, Michigan school event mass, mass casualty event causer, his mother didn't take, take him home over drawing. A Michigan school official told jurors that he had no grounds to search the backpack of a teenager before the boy uh, killed four fellow students in 2021. Now, if I'm talking in sort of code, it's because the YouTube algorithm does not like discussing certain things. So I have to abbreviate things. And it's very annoying, but it is what it is. A Michigan school, uh, school official told jurors Tuesday, that was yesterday, that he felt he had no grounds to search a teen's backpack before the boy fatally shot four fellow students even though staff met with the teen's parents that morning to discuss a violent drawing that he had scrawled on a math assignment. Nick Ejack, who was in charge of discipline at Oxford High School, said he was concerned about Ethan Crumley's mental health, but did not consider him a threat to others on November 30th, 2021, when this mass casualty event happened. After the meeting about the drawing, the teen's parents declined to take their son home. A few hours later, he pulled a 9 millimeter. Uh, firearm from his backpack and shot 11 people inside the school. Jennifer Crumley, 45, is charged with involuntary manslaughter and prosecutors say that she and her husband were grossly negligent and could have prevented the four deaths if they attended to their son's mental health. They also they're also accused of making the gun accessible at home. Apparently, one of the parts of testimony today was when the officers went into the home and found the gun safe that the uh, that the actual combination to it was zero, zero, zero. So really just obviously very neglectful parents not paying attention to what their child is doing and also essentially arming their child in a way, if you will. That is a shot of Jennifer Crumley in the courtroom of her own trial. And yes, we heard lots of testimony today. So much of Ejak's testimony Focus on the meeting that morning, which included him, the parents, and the boy, and a counselor. The school requested the meeting after a teacher had found the drawing, which depicted a firearm and a bullet with the lines, the thoughts won't stop, help me, the world is dead, my life is useless. Ejak said he didn't have reasonable suspicion to search the teen's backpack, as such as nervous behavior or allegations of vaping or possessing a weapon. Quote, none of that was present, he told the juror, the jury, adding that the drawing also didn't violate the school's conduct code. Ethan said he found it, quote, or Ejak said he found it, quote, odd and strange that Jennifer and James Crumley declined immediately to take their son home. He said, quote, my concern was he gets the help he needs, Ejak had said in his testimony. Making this all the more, making this case all the more, um, uh, you know, they are they are both charged with involuntary manslaughter, facing 15 years in prison. They've already been incarcerated for two years, um, and now they have, you know, it, it just keeps looking worse and worse. And at first glance, you think, oh well, how can they be blamed for this? And then you look at their behavior. And not taking responsibility for their son or even to put him in the proper care or even give him the proper care. And this is what really breaks my heart about all this. Jennifer Crumley worked in a telemarketing in telemarketing or marketing for a real estate company. Her boss, Andrew Smith, testified that the business was, quote, very family friendly and family first. An apparent attempt by prosecutors to show that she didn't need to rush back to work after the morning meeting at the school. 
Smith said Jennifer Crumley dashed out of the office when the news of the event broke. She sent him text messages declaring her son, declaring, she sent text messages to her boss declaring that her son, quote, must be the shooter. I need my job. Please don't judge me for what my son did, unquote. Smith claimed he was a little taken aback and he was surprised, uh, and I was surprised she was worried about work. The jury saw police photos of the Crumley home taken on the day of the, of the event. Ethan's bedroom was messy with paper targets from a shooting range that displayed uh, that were displayed on the wall. The small safe that held the Sig Sauer hand, handgun was open and empty on his parents' bed. Ejack, the high school dean, said the parents didn't disclose that James Crumley had purchased a firearm as a gift for Ethan just four days earlier. Ejack didn't know about the teen's hallucinations either in 2021. Quote, it would have completely changed the process that we followed. As an expert of their child, I heavily rely on the parents for information, he said when he told the jury. Near the end of the day yesterday, prosecutors played a video of Jennifer Crumley sitting in a police car after the event. She sobbed at times, expressed her disbelief about her son, saying, quote, he ruined his life and then asked for cigarettes. And she said, quote, I don't get what happened. Her husband, James Crumley, will stand trial in March. The couple are the first parents in the U.S. to be charged in a mass casualty event committed by a child, Ethan, who is now serving a life sentence. There is more. Uh, because today it came out that uh, the man who was a firefighter, who was a longtime friend of Jennifer Crumley, uh, he talked about their relationship that they were having. And there had been there have been lots of assertions that there had been obviously these extramarital affairs that were going on. There was uh, uh, there is discussions of potential um, uh, alcohol misuse uh, and a misuse disorder that was going on in the household as well. So there's a lot. This poor kid, I just the more I read about it, the the more I think, you know, he just uh, wasn't given a shot. Literally, a fair shake at life. So Brian, uh, ABC News is reporting that Brian Malosh, a longtime or Maloch, a longtime friend of Jennifer Crumley and with whom she was having an affair with at the time of the 2021 Oxford School Mass Casualty event, took the stand to testify in her manslaughter trial today, Wednesday. In text sent soon after the event, Jennifer Crumley told Maloch that, that the shooting, quote, could have been quote, could have been prevented according to evidence. In other texts, she told him she told him the school was, quote, nonchalant about concerns surrounding Ethan Crumley and said that the school should have taken the concern seriously and not allowed him to return to class. However, she didn't take him out of school. Jennifer Crumley and James Crumley are each facing four counts of involuntary manslaughter in connection with the school shooting, which was carried out by their 15-year-old son, uh, who is, and James Crumley is being tried in a separate trial. This is just in the article. Ethan Crumley has been sentenced to life in prison without parole for the murder of the four students. After Jennifer Crumley's attorney, Shannon Smith, who a lot of people have a lot of resignations about, Bloch, uh, questioned Bloch, suggesting that police intimidated and threatened him into providing his testimony. Prosecutors sought to allow the judge to include evidence that the two had an affair. In a previous ruling, Judge Cheryl Matthews excluded all evidence regarding their extramarital affair. 
The jury was excused from the room and Matthew spoke directly to Jennifer Crumley, who said she supported her attorney's decision to admit evidence about the affair into evidence. Malosh, a fire department captain, initially appeared to testify uh, that police interviewing him threatened his job and benefits, including his pension, if he helped Jennifer Crumley by refusing to share information. However, he later clarified that he was pressured by police to share information about the Crumleys, but was always told to tell the truth. Malosh admitted on the stand that he did not want his affair to be revealed and had sought to protect his family and wife by withholding information. Malosh testified on Wednesday that Jennifer Crumley had told him she was able to leave work to meet up with him, even though she allegedly told school officials on the day of the shooting that she could not take her son home for mental health care or for mental health care that day because she needed, quote, to return to work. But she did tell him that she was able to go meet and meet her lover. Jennifer and James Crumley decided to send their son back to class despite a meeting in the morning of the shooting, which the school officials had expressed concerns about him. Andrew Smith, the CEO of the real estate company where Jennifer Crumley worked at the time of the shooting, testified on Tuesday that she would have been allowed to leave for the day if she had needed to take care of their son because it was a family-friendly work environment. Malosh also testified about conversations he had with Crumley in the days leading up to and after the mass casualty event, the two texted regularly leading up to the event and in the days after it. Malosh said he regularly deleted messages between himself and Jennifer Crumley. He testifies that one of those deleted texts from her sent on the day of the event said the gun was gone. He responded telling her to contact police. Malosh told Crumley in texts before she was arrested that she, quote, needed to disappear when she was allowed to do so. Prior to the event, Malosh had said he was aware that the Crumleys had gotten a handgun for their son and said that he was surprised that they chose to do so. Malosh had also testified that he did not believe Jennifer Crumley should have been charged, but has since learned some information that makes him believe otherwise. Malosh testified that he didn't think a shooting would actually take place. He thought, he, he thought more so that Ethan Crumley would hurt himself. Evidence was shown in court of text messages also showed an unsent message from Jennifer Crumley to Malosh in which she told him that the firearm was locked with a string lock. Uh, quote, I'll never be okay. I lost my son and he's a murderer and I'll forever have to live with the guilt of that. I'm not even sure it sure life is worth living anymore. Unquote. Crumley said it in another text message that was never sent. Again, all these trials, all these text messages, all these things, people think the phone, if you just delete it, it goes away. If it leaves your phone, go somewhere, you, they can track it down. It's it's unbelievable to me that some people just think that, you know, we saw this in the Murdoch trial. We see this with Becky Hill. We've seen this with all these other trials of these people sending messages uh, in these in these events that then come into evidence later on. You have Brian Koberger who turns off his, his phone, then is accused of committing an act of violence. And then comes back and then grabs the, turns the phone back on and just thinks that, oh, nobody's going to know where I just track me. It's unbelievable. These things are, they track our lives. I, I kid you not. Malosh testified that the two normally met in the parking lot of a Costco across the street from her job during the morning hours of work days when Ethan Crumley was at school. He testified that he never felt that Jennifer Crumley did not care about her son. 
He stopped communicating with Jennifer Crumley when he saw on the news that police were trying to apprehend her and her husband, Maloj testified. The last the two communicated was December 4th, 2021, which I believe was the same day that they were both arrested as well. And they have been incarcerated or in jail ever since. Lieutenant Sam Marsban, a Oakland County detective, also testified that Jennifer Crumley did not want to hand over her phone to police and was concerned about being able to contact people while police were conducting a search. Marsban also testified that he told Crumley she could get a replacement phone and asked that she share the number with police. <laughs> Marsban told, uh, said Jennifer Crumley seemed irritated and frustrated but was not crying while police searched their house just hours after the event. The prosecution said it expects to call two more witnesses Thursday morning tomorrow before they arrest. The defense is expected to begin presenting its case in the afternoon. Jennifer Crumley. What do we think? Is she this week's true crime biggest loser? Well, her trial's not done, so we'll see. There is hope for her yet. But I don't know. Next is Vince McMahon, who is the former head of WWE Entertainment, the WWF, uh, WWF World Wrestling Foundation. I mean, I grew up with watching WWF and Vince McMahon, and he was a regular character on Sunday morning cartoons and Sunday morning, was it Sunday morning or Saturday morning Smackdown, I believe. I used to watch it. I can't even remember what it was, but it was like Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Rowdy Piper, who, fun fact, I was the last person to film with Rowdy Rowdy Piper while he was alive. I was the last person to film him alive. Uh, not a fun fact. He was a really nice guy. Wonderful guy. Um, but uh, I grew up, why I watched wrestling, it was super fun, and so I've known you know of Vince McMahon since I was literally a kid. So, uh, I had never known that he had this sort of penchant for treating women and employees this way, but apparently, he has a very long history of this. Uh, it has come out that he has paid out over 14 million dollars in hush money alone over the years to various female employees. However, one female employee, thank you so much for the super sticker, Cat Loves Catskills. However, it has come out that one employee just said, nah, this is where it is. This is where it ends. And, you know, most of the time when these lawsuits are filed, the plaintiff will disguise himself as a Jane Doe, especially in harassment harassment suits and anything of this nature. And what happened is uh, she said, no, I'm putting my name out there because others will come forward. Uh, she wanted to show that is in a, is in a move of to show solidarity with other victims of McMahon. And she's also sued John Laurianitis, who, uh, who was also the former head of talent and talent relations at the WWE. So in a lawsuit, Janelle Grant accuses WWE founder Vince McMahon of, quote, sharing sexually explicit photos and videos of her with other wrestlers. She also alleges that he recruited men to have a threesome at WWE head headquarters even during working hours while referring to her as his, quote, porn star. Grant worked at the WWE in Connecticut for three years. She alleges McMahon attempted to, quote, traffic her to a WWE star 
who's coming to, to, into New York City for a live, t live TV event. McMahon denies all of the allegations. The lawsuit implicates the organization's former head of talent, John uh, talent relations, John Laurinaitis, who is a stepdad of these two twins. And we're going to get in this article that is on page six. This is Nikki and Brie Garcia. But she also went on to allege that uh, in her filing that once that McMahon once defecated on her head during a threesome in May of 2020. Um, and he also, of course, denies those allegations. Now, just this last week, uh, WWE's parent company went public on the New York Stock Exchange and McMahon was right there with The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who I really like. But um, they were uh, they were right there. <laughs> there together in, uh, in the New York Stock Exchange to ring in the bell about the shocking sex abuse lawsuit big love on inside edition and uh there they are just this week mcmahon along with dwayne the rock johnson rang the bell at the new york stock exchange to celebrate the rock joining the board of wwe's new parent company tko and there's mcmahon and he does not look like he does not look like the dude here <laughs> Uh, he has definitely aged quite a bit. And I mean, look at the guy's 78 and, uh, you know, a far cry from what he used to look like. But I guess when you're doing all kinds of nefarious things behind, uh, people's backs and paying hush money, this is what you get. This is the lawsuit. And I mean, this is just, this is crazy stuff and how disappointing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know Again, you don't know any of this growing up and, you know, not that he was a hero of mine, but this guy was very, was larger than life. He's written a lot of books. I've seen him at my gym that I worked out at before, like years ago, like he's been around, he's been a big, big celebrity in the world of entertainment. So, uh, you know, to kind of see people just like what a fall from grace. And I honestly don't believe he'll ever be able to recover from this. Uh, page six is reporting. So Nikki and Brie Garcia, um, who are the stepdaughters of John Laurinaitis, claim that it's been a lot for them to process. Nikki and Brie Garcia have released a vague statement amid the sexual, the uh, God, the SA and and uh, cl other claims against WWE for founder Vince McMahon and the organization's former head of talent relations, John Laurinaitis, who is their stepdad. Quote, we are shocked and disheartened with the recent allegations against members of the WWE, the twins and retired wrestlers wrote on a joint Instagram post on Monday. It has been a lot to process since we found out this past week, just as you all did. They continue. This is something we don't stand for or condone from anyone, no matter who they are. They concluded. We want all women to feel safe and supported in the workplace and in their everyday lives. Um, Obviously, yes. And, you know, it's really a shame when people get roped into the shenanigans of their parents, even if it is just, <laughs> even if it is a step parent, because now, you know, they have to issue statements. It's just messy. It's just messy. It's really unfortunate. And to have these young women to have to give a statement and to even as young women to hear these horrific allegations in the 67 page lawsuit come out and and because because the woman who th this 
this uh, Janelle, um, uh, sorry, Janelle, um, <laughs> I lost her, her name, uh, Janelle, uh, Janelle Grant coming out and putting her name on this lawsuit shows that she's got nothing to hide. She's got nothing to hide. So, of course, they want to stand by other women and they want to feel safe and what they're doing. And, of course, they, they probably have children. They, you know, probably want to have children. They probably have daughters or they have friends that have kids that look up to them. You know, it's just a mess. The whole thing is just, it's just very unfortunate. And, um, you know, a fall from grace that I don't think that, uh, that, um, that Vince McMahon will ever recover from. He's now 78 years old. It's a lot, but he has resigned and, um, that's where we were at. So, um, the, the big news of the week, if you guys were with me on Monday, all day <laughs> and all day main event was the retrial hearing of Alec Murdoch, or I like to refer to it Murdebacle. The Murdebacle took place in Colleton County, or sorry, in Columbia, South Carolina, Justice Gene Toll presiding over this particular hearing of the retrial, retrial hearing of Alec Murdoch. And as the day started, you know, it started very early. I'm here in Los Angeles. I was up at 6 a.m. with you guys, and I thought for sure it would be over by 9 a.m. my time, which would be 12 noon Eastern, because previously Justice Gene Toll had pretty much said that she was not going to really entertain much of what the defense wanted to bring out and these alternate jurors they wanted to question and this case that they were making against Rebecca Hill, Becky Hill, who is the Colleton County clerk of courts who presided, who was the clerk of court for Murdoch's trial. And they were saying that she was lying about a lot of the stuff and had and had done had a lot of misconduct, had been tampering with the jury, which was at the crust of crux of their argument because she had written good old Becky Hill had written my favorite thing, <laughs> a book behind the behind the doors of justice. Fun fact: her co-author Neil Gordon has reached out and would like to be on the show. He's going to come out. I'm going to have him on the show. It'll be a fun episode. Because look, I mean, I think he's he was pretty much bamboozled as well. Kind of, you know, he got himself into some hot water. But uh, we'll have him on. We'll talk. It'll be all good. I'm excited. I hope he does it. It'll be great. But uh, murderbacle, all really caused by this. Really, the defense using this, and I want to I want to play some snippets from Rebecca Hill's testimony. We're going to get into when, you know, uh, Creighton Waters. During the course of the trial. Itself. No, not during the course of the trial. After the verdict had been reached and the case was in sentencing, did you have any conversation with any jurors at that time after they had already uh, entered their verdict and been individually polled? Yes, after the sentencing. All right, and tell the court what that interaction was at that time. So her, her alleged, all these allegations of misconduct she had claimed I didn't have any contact with the jurors before. I never spoke to any of the jurors. I never, I never brought anything up to them. I never spoke about 
Murdoch, you know, suggested that she had made comments of watch his body language. He's guilty. Don't let his attorneys fool you. And she had said, no, I never had any inappropriate conversations. And even saying that she had <laughs> never given jurors a ride or never had inappropriate uh relationships with any of these with any of these jurors meaning that she had any interactions with them outside of her duties as the clerk of court not a not a physical relationship but you know didn't drive them in the car didn't take them places and it came out <laughs> as they later put up her after her testimony justice jean toll starts asking her questions because she was originally not going to allow the defense to talk to her and uh they decided to allow them to question her and here is Dick I've read your book, the one, some editions of your book. There's several. We got a bunch of um, emails in which you have drafts that you forwarded to your co-author, correct? Correct. So essentially, Fitz News, the good people over at Fitz News, doing Wolf Folks and his team doing a lot of work on this case and on the murder and corruption in the Palmetto State, which apparently runs rampant down there, by the way. Uh, he, uh, had filed a FOIA request and received two, 2,100 pages of Rebecca Hill's emails back and forth while her time at Colleton, as Colleton County clerk of courts during the Murdoch trial and interactions that she had had with the BBC and other people and her co-author Neil Gordon, and including an email, which she used to then plagiarize the preface of this book, which she wrote. And yesterday on surviving the survivor, Neil Gordon had said, quote that he uh, he looked at the preface when he read the preface of the book that she had written when she sent him the draft and said wow this is really well well written how did you how did you uh how did you find time to write all this and she said oh i just kind of made time for for it which he kind of in his mind looking back now hindsight being 2020 he had thought mm, that might have been a red flag and again let me be let, let me be very clear you know again uh even though what happened with Becky Hill and all of these shenanigans, I think is absolutely reprehensible for a clerk of court. Let us not forget that the entire reason that we are in this is because that man in the orange jumpsuit, Alec Murdoch, if he hadn't committed the crime that he was sentenced for the murder of his son and wife, Maggie and Paul and the corruption and the, and the financial crimes to which he pled guilty for, which he is still serving 27 years for. No matter what, if he had gotten a retrial, it wouldn't have mattered. Even if they had thrown out the verdict, it wasn't like he was going to walk away from prison. He's still serving 27 years for these financial crimes, and he still has many pending charges, federal cases, etc. He's not going anywhere, which is what makes this all the more unfortunate. I believe, uh, so... Becky Hill becomes a little bit prevaricative. Her tone was definitely a lot different with Dick Harpoolian, who is Murdoch's attorney and, and very friendly with Creighton Waters, who obviously, you know, Creighton Waters and his team, I feel did a fantastic job in their prosecution. And again, they were facing a defense that had no defense other than saying our client didn't do this, but never offered up another suspect. Not even in the case of, of, uh, you know, in my father's case, it was very similar. This is there was no other suspect. He never said, oh, well, this person did it. My father's defense never offered up another suspect either. So it's a little fanciful when they're trying to say, well, well, someone else did it. But OK, well, who did it? 
where I know there are a lot of things that, that people find questioning that are questioning regarding this trial. You know, the murder weapon was missing. Uh, the, the timeline is a little sketchy at, at times, but again, in the defense, if they don't ever offer up uh, an, an, an alibi for their, for <laughs> their accused defendant or say, here's the alternative theory. Here's, here's what we have. Here's other evidence that we want to bring. This did not happen because this happened, but they never did that in the trial because, well, I mean, I think that a lot of us feel that there are other things, other forces at work because the corruption seems to really run deep in the Palmetto state. So it then goes to Justice Jean Toll, who then begins to ask Becky some questions. I did not, Your Honor. Well, she says in this testimony that she didn't know about the Facebook until Miss Becky told me. Was she... What, was that incorrect? I'm not some saying... Kind of some kind of conversation went between the two of her for her to know about that post, correct? That's true. And I'm thinking that it could have been someone... Um, it wasn't me. I just know that it's not me that she talked to about that. Well, when the judge... Um, the, the judge was uh, questioning... Uh, the juror about this, uh, she also said that she had three restraining orders against him. Uh, so this is a line of questioning about a, a juror's potential ex-husband and Becky Hill saying that she had no contact with her, no discussion of Facebook and posts. There's a lot of Facebook and Facebook group things that go on in this. And in this so you post. think that the you're aware of the fact that some of these uh, uh, on-the-scene uh, photographs of the two decedents found their way into the public press. You're aware of that, are you not? Yes, ma'am, I am, yes. And you contend that they photographed them uh, in the courtroom? That is what I heard. So again, again, <laughs> Becky Hill... Um, I think that the thing that frustrates her, she has a lot of supporters. And again, look, I'm, I, I'm only, I'm only chastising her in a way or, or roasting her in a way because what she did is so solipsistic and so just stupid. Because to be honest with you, the whole reason that they're even here in this courtroom is because of her, because of her, because of what she did. And because she of her improper contact with the jurors. And that is why Murdoch's attorneys are claiming that they have, they can have this retrial because of this improper conduct and citing all this case law, which judge Jean toll said, she's not going to listen to anyways. She's going to reflect different case law, but that gets into a whole other thing, but let's get into her decision and what she says at the end about Becky Hill in her findings for Alec Murdoch. The state of South Carolina against Richard Alexander Murdoch. 2022GS1500592593594594 and 595. Uh, after uh, proposed formal orders are received from each side in this matter. 
This case is unique in my 20 years of experience as a lawyer and my 35 years of experience as an active justice of the Supreme Court and a senior active trial and appellate judge. She had never seen anything quite like this nonsense, this murderbuckle. As this motion on the grounds I have recited a new trial in a very lengthy trial such as twice and said on her oath before me. So this is her finding credibility. On her previous affidavit in which she said the effect, if any, that she had was pressure she felt from other jurors. The cases are myriad that pressure from fellow jurors is a part of the normal give and take of jury deliberations. The court is not to inquire in any way about what is said in those deliberations. But the juror was somewhat ambivalent, said on her oath at the time of trial, twice, and said on her oath before me in these proceedings that she stood to her oath. The clerk of court allowed public attention of the moment to overcome her duty. I have read the entire transcript of this lengthy trial, not an easy task. I have studied in detail all of the authorities cited. I have in independently researched the case law, learned treatises, and scholarly articles on the subject. Although there is certainly a split in the federal circuits and in the states on the standard of review, I simply do not believe that the authority of our South Carolina Supreme Court requires a new trial in a very lengthy trial such as this on the strength of some fleeting and foolish comments by a publicity-influenced clerk of court. This is a matter within the discretion of the trial judge, and I am the trial judge at this moment. I do not feel that I abuse my discretion when I find the defendant's motion for a new trial on the factual record before me must be denied, and it is so ordered. Look, Alec Murdoch gets to go back to his cell. And Alec Murdoch is a very, very, very <laughs> high commodity, a very sought-after commodity in prison. He is someone who is a lawyer, and just like my father, who is incarcerated, who is a doctor, people of that status, who have that level of education, are able to help the prison population in general. They are able to help the other prisoners because they're everyone in prison. There are very few guilty men in prison, as they say. They are either filing appeals. They are filing. Um, they are looking to uh, to get less time off their sentence. They are always in that law library reading. Somebody like Alec Murdoch literally is a very valuable commodity to the rest of the prison population. And as far as Becky Hill <laughs> and her, her just complete impeachment of herself, her complete perjure, perjury of her words on the witness stand, which were refuted which were which were when they brought up her fellow county clerk of court 
uh, Rhonda McElveen to sort of rebut a lot of Becky's testimony. Again, she just looks foolish. And as the judge says, Judge Soul says at the end of the hearing, she said that she was seduced by the siren song of celebrity and she wasn't going to let that end up affecting the actual good work that the jurors had done in this case against Alexander Murdoch. Again, Alec Murdoch will be fine in prison. Becky Hill has to go back and live her life as the Colleton County Clerk of Courts. And she has to go back to that county, that small town of Walterboro, where she's been for years and you know decades. She grew up her whole life there. And she is someone who now has to face down the public who she abused their trust. Let's just, you know, let's, let's not mince words. She abused their trust and she, uh, you know, she has left the Palmetto state in, well, in quite a state. All of this because the justice system has, <laughs> the justice system is now in question in the Palmetto state. And many people have been have been alluding to corruption that has gone on in the state of Cal uh, in the state of South Carolina for decades. And a friend of mine who is a well known attorney and a a literal publicity seeking attorney who would go to the opening of an envelope said to me, Collier, it is well known in the United States that the state of South Carolina and their judicial system and the way that things are done there is the corruption is so rampant. And people have been talking about this in their state and trying to change things. People like Will Folks over at Fitz News have been reporting on this, trying to get someone to pick it up. There is alleged corruption involving who allowed people just like Alexander Murdoch to operate, to be able to pull off these financial scams, bankers, everyone. He didn't just act alone. His law firm, everyone being defrauded. And it has been alleged that, uh, you know, that that this corruption has been going on for decades. So that brings me to who is this week's true crime biggest loser? Well, it might not be who you think it is. It is indeed the Palmetto State. Because again, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it if it wasn't for all that went on, if it wasn't for the behavior of Becky Hill and this, you know, solipsistic pursuit of fame, this book, it has caused, I mean, here I am, some guy in California talking about this, this case, making videos about it, discussing about it, talking with you guys, my audience about it. And this entire scenario has just made the state, which is a beautiful state, a wonderful state. Go game go Gamecocks, right? I had a Gamecocks hat when I was in high school for other reasons, but <laughs> not that I knew the team. But the thing is, is that now we look back and we just go, what is going on there? And to be honest with you, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing that we began to question the actions of our elected officials of the people in power, the people that control the judiciary and the people who uh, allow things and allow people like Alec Murdoch to take advantage of the public trust for decades. Food for thought on a Wednesday in Los Angeles. I want to say thank you so much 
to all my channel members, my channel subscribers, Mover Nation. Thank you so much. I'm sorry about the sound glitch. I was just on my, I was just on a roll, but uh, I want to thank you all so much for your support, for tuning in, for 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 joining in the discussion in the chat. I want to see what you guys are saying in the chat. By the way, what's going on? Uh, you know, uh, thank you all so much for your support. Please remember to check out our sponsor, Aura. Uh, you get a four, free 14-day trial. Check them out. Fabulous company. I'm really happy that they've chosen to be a sponsor of this channel and this video. Thank you so much to Aura. Uh, and thank you so much to all my Patreon supporters. Without you guys, it wouldn't be possible. And all my channel members, without your support, it wouldn't be possible. But everyone who has been here, who continues to show up for these lives, who continues to watch my videos, thank you so much for everything and for for showing up here and being a part of our community our moderators my associate producer court mcneil thank you so much for all the hard work you've done the reason why these programs keep getting better is because of people like her people like you guys in this audience my moderators all coming out and participating and helping me elevate the show because it is a one-man band sitting right here if you haven't figured it out and um uh i you know i'm looking forward to onward upward and making this just a, a great success and all of you are along for the ride. So um, thank you all so much for all of this. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. On that note, Mover Nation, we get through another one. I'm Collier Landry. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, and please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash collierlandry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright, Collier Landry.